seeing all the Brazilians here with their families and, you know, they don't got to travel to the States to fight just for tonight. It's, it's pretty cool and uh, it touched my heart. So I love everybody out here. And, um, yeah, uh, it's just a huge pressure off my shoulders. So, yeah. <laughs> Rose says something very telling there. A great pressure off of her shoulder. What, what's the pressure? Not having the belt anymore? Getting rid of the, the, the fight week? What, 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 what is she alluding to meaning the great pressure off of her shoulder? The belt. It's got to be the belt. She didn't want the belt. Well, we've seen a lot of former champions, Jose Aldo, among them, feel maybe liberated a little bit when they don't have the pressure to defend. You know? Man, I cried. <laughs> when I lost the belt, I cried. Well, it's not a, you know, it's a, it, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. We work our entire lives to get to that, right? You know, it's a so lot of pressure, DC, and you've been at the top for a very long time, to be fair. We really have, and you've had a lot of experience being under that pressure. Rose this is, is learning. She's 9-3. Okay. She's okay. learning to be there. Yep. You're exactly right. You're yeah. trying to understand it, and that makes sense. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to understand it. But think of how long you've been competing, DC, and Rose is learning, and this is just a little stumble for her. She is but, incredible. She I know you know that. Up to Perfect. The point. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock, and welcome to our UFC 237 post show here at Post Wrestling. It is me solo for this particular show. It was a very, very busy weekend, so I did not want to leave uh, Phil Chair Talk hanging uh, if I was going to be able to do this Saturday night or Sunday morning. So I thought it just would be easier this weekend uh, for me to do this once I had the time to record it. So I'm speaking with you late on a Saturday night, early Sunday morning. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that have woken up and are now listening to Post Wrestling's UFC 237 post show on your special day. Uh, we do welcome you. So Phil will be back next month after the UFC 238 show. Uh, we're going to go through UFC 237. We're also going to go through Bellator 221 because they had a show going on, quite a notable show at the Allstate Arena in Chicago. And we'll also go through some news and notes that were coming out of uh, mainly on the UFC front. Some fight announcements, some events uh, that they have uh, finalized for the rest of the year. All of that stuff we will be getting into. But we're going to start off on the professional wrestling front because a tragedy took place on Saturday. And that was the death of Silver King, uh, which happened at a Lucha Libre London card that was going on in London, England on Saturday. And they had had an afternoon show where he wrestled on the afternoon show as the character Ramses from the Nacho Libre movie that came out in 2005. He actually wrestled as that character and then came back for the evening show where he was having a match with Juventud Guerrera. And during the match, he executed a clothesline onto Juvie and then it sounds as though he went down on all fours and shortly after that was unresponsive and the match it did finish and then they were entering the ring working on him and he passed away um it's we have not got the official cause of death uh yet so uh we're gonna still await those details but uh just a tragic story involving somebody who has been uh wrestling for well over 30 years uh people will remember silver king from, I mean, if you are someone that has followed Lucha Libre, uh, you will have known from him from when he debuted in the mid eighties and then, uh, wrestling in the UWA. He was a part of a tag team, very well known tag team with El Tejano, who 
passed away a number of years ago himself when he was 47, uh, and they made up Los Cowboys. And then from there, he would go on to have success in CMLL. He, of course, was one of many of the luchadors that went to WCW in the mid-90s and a guy that was such a great talent. And a lot of matches are popping up tonight of people remembering Silver King and looking at that WCW period with his matches with the likes of Rey Mysterio, with Eddie Guerrero. It was after his release from WCW in 2000 uh, that he... so. First of all, let's rewind just a little bit because it was in 1987 that Silver King was first unmasked and it was very early on in his career uh, that he was unmasked and revealed as the son of Dr. Wagner and, of course, his brother, Dr. Wagner Jr., who still wrestles to this day. So he wrestled a significant amount of his career without the hood on. And then when he went over to New Japan Pro Wrestling, he put the mask back on and wrestled as Black Tiger 3. And this went on for uh, years that he wrestled under that mask and then was unmasked by L.A. Park in 2006. Then from there, he had a brief run in All Japan Pro Wrestling and then made his way to AAA in 2008. And that was his last really prominent uh, promotion that he was wrestling pretty regularly with up until a couple of years back when he had slowed down his schedule. Uh, he was 51 years of age at the time of his passing. And, you know, his career is going to get a lot of focus uh, because of his involvement in the Nacho Libre film and being the the main villain in that movie opposite Jack Black uh, just the fact that he did have that that celebrity uh, attached to him the fact that he, here was a guy a, a second generation wrestler and sadly in the nature of which he died in the middle of the ring this is going to get a lot of publicity i feel over the next couple of days it's a horrible story uh, we will be continuing to monitor it obviously over the next few days and monday night whatever the latest details we have uh, we will discuss on rewind to raw so our condolences to all of the friends and family of silver king and this uh this terrible passing um, on Saturday and probably a lot more details will be known over the next uh, 24 hours. And I expect this one is going to get quite a lot of coverage. So now we're going to move on over to the UFC 237 card. They were in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil on Saturday night from the Jeunesse Arena. And this was headlined by Rose Dami Yunus defending her strawweight championship against Jessica Andrade. And, I guess we can start off right from we'll, – we'll start from the main event. Uh, and this was an interesting fight with Rose Nami Yunus having not fought since April of last year. That was the rematch with Joanna Yandrechek where it was taking place in Brooklyn and that was where the bus incident occurred involving Conor McGregor. And Rose Nami Yunus was in one of the buses and was extremely shaken up to the point that it was questionable if she was going to go on and fight that Saturday and ended up fighting, defending the title against uh, Joanna and has had a lot of issues that she's dealt with from that incident. And it's... um I think it's something that it's when you when you look at the fact that here is an incident that was taken and it was used for promotional material and it just seems as though it's kind of just been accepted like it it was uh, just this incident that happened and I think when you when you watch that video it really is horrifying that if you were in that bus what's going through your mind like what is happening for a window of 
whether it was 60 seconds, whether it was 10 minutes, and not understanding that this was just Conor McGregor uh, losing his mind, as opposed to, like, think of where your mind could go for that that time where you're not sure what is happening. Um, so a very traumatic incident for Rose Nami Yunus last year, and here she is coming back, going to Brazil, defending the title against Jessica Andrade, and she comes out in the first round, and she looks phenomenal. Rose Nama Yunus is just lighting her up. Her jab is on point. Jessica Andrade's left eye is a mess midway through this round. And at one point, Jessica Andrade is lifting her up for a slam. And Rose Nama Yunus is grabbing the arm for a Kimura, knowing that if she tries to slam her, she'll be able to lock in this Kimura. And Andrade drops her and... Rose Nami Yunus tries for this arm bar, but cannot quite get it. And that would play into the end of this fight. But a completely dominant round by Rose Nami Yunus, maybe the best round of her career. That's how good she looked in that first round. The second appeared like it was going to be the same wash, rinse, and repeat for the next round. Jessica Andrade was trying to slow her with leg kicks, but really proving ineffective with Rose's striking being the key difference here. And then we go back to what happened in the first round. And Draj tries to lift her up. And again, Nami Yunus has the arm ready to apply the Kimura. And and Draj dumps her right onto her head and knocks out Rose, follows it with two hammer fists. It is done. At 258 of the second round, Jessica Andraj, the new strawweight champion. And it's a, it's a stunning come from behind victory as Rose Nami Yunus is looking so fantastic. And it looks like you're questioning what is Jessica Andraj doing? She escaped this arm bar luckily in the first round and now she's gambling again. This one paid off and it was a violent end to this fight. Uh, Rose Nami Yunus was up. She was moving. She was okay. But this was a nasty slam onto her head and the replay only accentuated that fact. Uh, it was quite the scene afterwards. Uh, Jessica Andrade elated by the championship victory. And I found the most interesting uh, conversation to take place afterwards. Rose Nami Yunus is interviewed by John Anik. And she's is in pretty good spirits and ends it by saying that you have no idea the pressure that is now off my shoulders and like this burden that has been taken from her and she's okay with it. And they go back. Daniel Cormier is on the, on the call with Dominic Cruz and Daniel Cormier is trying to understand what Rose Nami Yunus means. He's stating like, does, does she mean the title? And Dominic Cruz and John Anik are trying to explain, like, this is not completely uncommon. It's something that, I mean, Anderson Silva is the one I go back to when he lost to Chris Weidman. And it was kind of that same process that, like, for years. I mean, George St. Pierre. I mean, that was, this guy had an obsession when he was the champion of staying in that position. So it's not as though Rose Dami Yunus is an anomaly here. This has been spoken by, you know, Hall of Fame fighters, uh, two of the greatest fighters of all time, the pressures of being that that top person uh, that everybody is gunning for. And Daniel Cormier is explaining that we as athletes work our entire career for these moments. How could you want that? How could you want that title gone? He's, he's explaining, I cried. I cried when I, when I lost my, my championship. And 
Dominic Cruz is trying to explain that, you know, Cormier, you've been on top in this position and had to deal with this pressure for a long time. And you've, you know, become excellent at dealing with this pressure. Rose Nama Yunus is learning all of this. She is still a young fighter. She's 26 years old. She is, after this fight, she is eight and four. She has had 12 professional fights. Um, this is a, it was a fascinating conversation to hear in real time between Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz with two opposite opinions of Rose Nami Yunus's very real post-fight interview. And I think following Rory McDonald's words of a few weeks back, that was the talk for the week plus afterward, was, you know, some of the honesty you get from these fighters in that moment after a fight where they have just laid everything out there and you get some real insight into what makes these very unique individuals tick. And I thought that was the case with Rose Nami Yunus at the end of this fight. So, you know, an unbelievable performance. Uh, I certainly would not argue Rose Nami Yunus um, having a rematch for this title, just given the fact how great she looked here and had a, you know, after beating Joanna Jacek twice in a row, there's certainly the argument for it, though I don't know if Nami Yunus is raising her arm for an immediate rematch. And you have... Uh, Tatiana Suarez is going to be fighting Nina Ansarov coming up, and that could very well uh, produce uh, a title challenger. Michelle Watterson is probably going to be someone that is speculated upon. So there are candidates, and I am in the camp of many that I feel six months from now, eight months from now, I think Tatiana Suarez, that is the woman that everyone is looking at that is going to be sitting on top of this division. So we will see. She's got her next test in Nina Ansarov. Anderson Silva versus Jared Cannonier was the co-feature. And this one ended uh, 11 seconds to go in the first round. Jared Cannonier is winning the round. He landed these three right hands in a row and was outstriking Silva, who was fainting. And it was, you know, Anderson Silva trying to really uh, get Jared Cannonier to commit and then make him pay for those mistakes and work with his counters. But Jared Cannonier was pretty disciplined in this opening round. So with 11 seconds to go, Jared Cannonier throws an inside leg kick and connects with the right knee of Anderson Silva, who goes down and he is trying briefly to defend. And then the fight is waved off. It is clear he is hurt. He is grabbing the right knee and the fight is off at 449 of the first round. Jared Cannonier declared the winner by TKO and Anderson Silva afterwards stating that he did deal with uh, problems with his right knee in training. He apologized to the crowd. This audience, they hated Jared Cannonier. How dare you? How dare you injure our hero, Anderson Silva? And Jared Cannonier just stood there during his post-fight interview, and he let the booze just play in this arena. And, man, I I always wonder I, – I feel that it's obviously a certain ability you would have if you are someone that has – come up through professional wrestling as your education in terms of uh, presenting yourself to the public that this kind of a reaction would be so coveted by so many people that I cover that when I see a fighter get so offended by an, an entire arena booing them, um, it's sometimes puzzling to me, but it's just a different mindset. And Jerry Cannonier was furious. He was absolutely furious at this audience and said, if 
if you don't have respect for me, then I don't have respect for you. And that was it. He was, he, John Hennick asked him, do you have any closing thoughts? And he said, nope. And he was out of there. Jerry Cannonier defeats Anderson Silva. Uh, but hey, this guy was on his way to winning that round. Uh, who knows what would happen? As we saw in the main event, uh, one great round does not, uh, translate to a guaranteed victory, but, uh, I guess for Jared Cannonier, I mean, it moves him forward, um, regardless of the circumstances. I think this is a middleweight that I- I'm not going to put, you know, championship, uh, gold around this guy's waist as though he's a champion in waiting. But thus far, David Branch, Anderson Silva, he has passed these tests. And I don't think there's any controversy to this, regardless of, uh, whether, um, how the, how the finish occurred. It, it ended because of what, Damage Jared Cannonier inflicted on Anderson Silva. This is a victory. This is not a tainted victory. It's a win for Jared Cannonier. Uh, Jose Aldo, Alexander Volkanovsky. They went three rounds with Alexander Volkanovsky winning by unanimous decision. It was not an extremely entertaining fight. Volkanovsky clearly won the three rounds and he had a great game plan. He shut down Jose Aldo, who was second guessing himself and used a volume of leg kicks, especially in the opening round that I think uh, made Jose Aldo think twice uh, about moving forward and being cognizant of these leg kicks that he was leaving himself open for. And then it was a lot of clinching from Volkanovsky that rendered Aldo's striking uh, very minimal. And into the third, it was Volkanovsky upping the, the intensity, had him against the cage, just constant pressure. And this was a great game plan for Volkanovsky. He won 30-27. I don't think anyone's arguing with that scorecard. And it's his seventh win in the UFC. He is 7-0 and in the company. And in theory, you would think that this guy should be fighting for the featherweight title next. I don't know if this performance is going to grant him that. And I think that... They, Believing that any one performance is going to yield a title fight, you're living in a different era because that is not a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination. And I feel that if it is up to Alexander Volkanovsky or Frankie Edgar as the next title challenger for Max Holloway, I don't know if I want to be Alexander Volkanovsky in the, if, in that decision. And we have seen a lot, a lot more crazy uh, title fights made, uh, despite how deserving a contender is. Volkanovsky on paper deserves that title fight, but it'll be a question if he is actually going to get it. And what Max Holloway's, um, what his featherweight plans are going to be? Does this guy want to still continue at 155 despite the Dustin Poirier fight? Uh, we're going to see. There's, if you're Max Holloway and you're looking for big fights, there's more at the table at 155, which is a division that looks to be on fire for the summer, as compared to your options of Alexander Volkanovsky and Frankie Edgar at 145 pounds. Uh, Tiago Alves versus Loriano Starpoli was a welterweight fight that we had uh, going the distance as well in this. Starpoli winning by unanimous decision on scores of 30-27 twice, 29-28. Starpoli is a very entertaining fighter to watch. A lot of unorthodox techniques, not always a... Uh, completion rate when it comes to these strikes, but I feel that this is a guy that has 
a lot of talent, and we are only going to see this guy get better. He is uh, 10 fights deep into his pro career after this fight with Alvis, who's a tremendous veteran. And I think Starpley, this was a very good win for him. Uh, won by unanimous decision. I had it 29-28. I thought the third round was Alvis's round where he was able to take him down, landed with a, a, a really great knee strike, and it was Tiago Alves looking like the Tiago Alves that you would remember, especially in this third round. So for Alves, it's it's a real crapshoot to know what kind of version we're going to see of him. He's now 35 years old and has been a, a stalwart here in the UFC going back to October of 2005 when he had his first fight. This was his 26th UFC fight, and that's with all those injuries in there that this guy could easily have, I would say, Six to six fights on top of that had he not been injured as often and for as long as Alvis had been. But Starpley gets the unanimous decision victory here. Uh, fun fighter. And I look forward to what's next for him in the welterweight division. And the pay-per-view opened up with Irina Aldana versus Betch Cohea. This was moved up to the pay-per-view after Francisco Trinaldo and Carlos Diego Fajera was removed after Fajera uh, was suffering from kidney stones and they lost that fight on Friday. So they bounced around some of the fights. This one opened up the pay-per-view and Aldana was ahead on all three judges scorecards going into the third round. She was up 2018. Uh, I thought the second was very close. Cohea was, seemed to have a better read on her than she did in the first where Aldana was just lighting her up with these combinations. But in the second, a uh, Cohea just, you know, she throws with power and she's, open to taking a punch in order to land one. Um, in the third, though, Cohea was landing these big strikes, and then she shot for the takedown, and Aldana transitioned to her back and then went for the arm and got a belly-down armbar for the tap at 324 of the third round. So Irene Aldana improves to 10-4. and four. This was Betch Cohea's first fight since June of 2017, which was the fight against Holly Holm. So a big layoff for Betch Cohea. We'll quickly go through the prelims here. Uh, Ryan Spann defeated Antonio Rogério Nogueira. This was not outside of Jessica Andrade. Not a great night for the Brazilians. Ryan Spann knocked out Antonio Rogério Nogueira, 207 of the first round. They got into this exchange, and Nogueira was blasted with a left uppercut. And then uh, Spann followed up with these two shots that uh, just felt painful to watch Nogueira take these two extra shots that he did not need to take. And... Uh, Span gets the win. He improves to 16 and 5. Uh, Tiago Moises and Kurt Holabo. They went the distance here. Uh, Tiago Moises won by unanimous decision 30 26, 30 26, 30 27. Uh, I had him winning all three rounds. I gave him a 10 8 in the third round. Uh, he was able to get on top in half guard, scramble to the, to the fence, and then nearly got a finish with the choke. Solid finish for him in the third. Uh, Holobo is a very tough fighter, but, uh, yeah, I thought Tiago Moises looked very good in this particular fight. Uh, great elbow strikes, uh, fighting off of the fence and some, he had one double leg takedown in the second round. It looked excellent. So this is a guy that really, uh, to me stood out on the undercard as a prospect. Warley Alves and Sergio Marais was our next welterweight fight to, to go through. Warley Alves decimated this guy with leg kicks. Uh, he ended up stopping him in the third round. It was a knockout uh, finish at 413 of the third round. How Sergio Marias made it to that point in the third round is a mystery. Alves just lit him up in the first round. Um, 
he was attacking with leg kicks and won the first and just kept targeting that leg in the second round. He was just he had such a great game plan because he was using these leg kicks. And then when Marais is so worried about these leg kicks, he left himself open for the jabs from all this, which were just nailing him. And then he'd go back to the leg kicks and Marais's lead leg was battered by this third round. And I don't know if you ever played uh, Ken Griffey baseball, I think was what the game was called on N64. And if you'd play the computer, they had this – it was a stupid bug in the game. They'd never replace the starting pitcher. So you'd be winning and then the pitcher would just be so tired. He would be putting his hands down on his knees and leaning over in between pitches. Like he's so tired and you can't do anything to switch this pitcher because it's a computer playing. Anyway, that to me is the representation of exhaustion, and that was Sergio Marias in this third round. This was that was a long analogy to get to my point that Marias was tired, and he was just absorbing these leg kicks. And man, the look on his face after each successive leg kick was "Get me out of here!" It is only my pride that is keeping me in this fight, and. He gets dropped with a right uppercut after taking this flying knee and thankfully referee Osiris Maya in there to stop it at 413 of the third round. Sergio Marias, a tough man, and Warley Alves looked awesome in this fight. And the televised prelims opened up with BJ Penn and Clay Guida. This was a fight right out of 2009 happening in 2019. Um, let's talk about BJ Penn first because this was quite the week. So... This is the first fight that BJ Penn has had since the allegations have come out against him. So MMA Junkie has really been on top of this story. They were the first ones to report that his the, the mother of his children filed a restraining order against Penn and made allegations against Penn of physical and sexual abuse. And it's resulted in a really nasty custody battle that appears to be ongoing involving the two and the couple's children. And on top of that, you have uh, another allegation that has come out against Penn that he had some kind of dispute with a neighbor, uh, some trespassing issue where Penn is alleged to have uh, had a machete and threatened his neighbor. Uh, now, it's worth noting um, in the case of the mother of his children that he has not been charged with a crime. Uh, and in the case of the neighbor, he is being investigated by the Hawaii Police Department. So these incidents are going on. And this week, during the media week, he would not speak to MMA Junkie, which has been reporting on this story. MMA Junkie went further, reporting that Penn had put guidelines out that he would not be addressing these topics to members of the media. And he was going to be there for the media day. So all of this is going on this week. And you know, it's left some people, you know, questioning, is this the, is this the right time for BJ Penn to be fighting? Should the UFC be going ahead and promoting this, this fighter while these allegations are out there and not really having, uh, much clarity regarding them, uh, while these issues are happening for the UFC's aspect of things? I think they just look at the fact that, Hey, if, he has not been charged with a crime. We're moving ahead with this fight, and that's it. And we'll deal with whatever fallout there is. So 
BJ Penn's team, I guess, facing this pressure, did ultimately issue a statement to MMA Junkie on Thursday. And the statement reads, BJ is in a highly contested child custody case involving his two young daughters. The order of protection has made serious allegations against BJ. The allegations are so misleading, hurtful, and false that any further comment by BJ or about BJ would cause more damage to the well-being of his children and potentially further inflame the pending custody proceedings. BJ and his family ask that you respect their privacy at this very difficult time. So that is the latest on BJ Penn and to give you a sense of what he's dealing with outside of the cage uh, coming into this fight. So he's got this fight with Clay Guida and the fight begins and BJ Penn looks very good in the first round. If like this was, you know, I don't even, I haven't even brought up the fact this is someone who's coming into this fight, having lost his last six fights. He has not won a fight since November of 2010. Uh, he has had some retirements in there as well, but this is where we're at with BJ Penn uh, coming into this fight at the age of 40. Um, so the first round, uh, BJ Penn, he lands an uppercut. He is dealing with Clay Guida's leg kicks, but this is BJ Penn trying to utilize his jab that he's very well known for to try and stop Clay Guida's wrestling. And if you're going to give BJ Penn a round, which I think most did, uh, the first round would be the one to give it to him. Uh, but it was a very competitive round. In the second, that is when the gulf began to form between Clay Guida and BJ Penn. We knew that Clay Guida would be the better conditioned, and that was the case. He had lots of pressure. He was dealing with BJ Penn's jab, which was kind of what Penn was left with here in the second. And Penn was wearing the effects of the leg kicks that Guida was delivering. He was limping at, at a point, and really, those leg kicks were registering. Third round, it's Guida that hits him with a left jab. Penn has significantly slowed down, and it's just Guida and his heavy cardio landing the heavier strikes and just working hard here in this third round. So the scorecards read 29-28, 29-28, 29-27 for Clay Guida, who is very complimentary of BJ Penn. And again, we will probably have a discussion each time after each BJ Penn fight, what this means. What does the UFC do with BJ Penn? He has now lost seven in a row. And I mean, you can go in one of two ways. It's the idea. Are we just putting him out there because there's going to be an interest in seeing BJ Penn? I question how much of an interest there is to see BJ Penn at this stage of his career, uh, fighting on the televised prelims. Uh, BJ Penn wants to fight. That is pretty clear. It would be very interesting because I think if the UFC were to cease ties with BJ Penn, I think Bellator would jump on him in a heartbeat, knowing that they're hopeful of going back to Hawaii at the end of this year. It would be logical that BJ Penn would want to continue fighting and fight in Hawaii. So, I don't feel that this is going to be the end of BJ Penn. And there's the defense that this guy was, he was not blown out of the water in this fight. Um, and he was competitive in the first round. But I guess that's ultimately a question every fighter has to have with himself. Am I striving just to simply be competitive or is there a further, uh, goal that I have? Um, you know, BJ Penn is throwing out the idea that he wants to win the championship back. And that is obviously a mentality that maybe you need to have um, as far removed from reality as it may be. Um, but this is where we're at with BJ Penn. And I don't have any doubt that he is going to fight again. It is only a question of where he fights again and where the UFC draws 
their their own line, uh, given he's lost seven in a row. There is no one that has been given that kind of leeway with the UFC and how many invites you get back after subsequent losses. Uh, we're going to find out with PJ Penn. And then quickly, just on to the fight pass prelims uh, to go through here. Uh, Luana Carolina defeated Priscilla Cachoeira by unanimous decision. Uh, Carolina looked very good in this fight. Uh, she won, I would say, all three rounds. Uh, there was a judge who had it 29-27. Uh, the 10-8 round came in the second where Carolina was going for a Kimura, then moved to an arm bar but lost that and tried for a guillotine, couldn't fully apply it, mounted Cachoeira, who is very tough, can take a lot of damage, but um, took a lot of damage. Uh, then we had uh, Rayoni uh, Barcelos versus... Carlos Joachim. Uh This one went uh, 4.49 of the second round with Barcelos winning by TKO after he got the mount and just started delivering elbows. Wachin, uh, I thought, won the first round. And then in the second, uh, Barcelos dropped him, got on top, and was just striking aggressively and kind of just trapped the arm and eventually finished him once he moved to mount. And the card opened up with Viviani Araujo defeating Talita Bernardo. This was an interesting story because... Araujo was the third opponent Bernardo got for this fight. She was originally to fight Jessica Rose Clark. That got moved to Melissa Gatto. And then earlier this week, Gatto fell out and Araujo, who is a strawweight, a strawweight came up to fight at bantamweight for this fight. So she's coming up two weight classes. She only weighed 131 pounds at the weigh-ins to give you a sense of the size discrepancy here. And Wins the fight on several days' notice, two weight classes above. And I've got to say, I thought Araujo um, made a great, great accounting for herself. This is probably not one of the performances people are going to be talking about on Sunday coming out of this card and the Bellator show plus the UFC card. But, man, I was very impressed with this woman. She uh, – her striking was on point. She was delivering uh, body kicks, m- mixing up her her stances and – Gave lots of problems for Bernardo. And then in the second, uh, this continued. It was the third where the finish came. Arujo dropped her with a right, uh, with a walk-off knockout. 48 seconds of the third round. And afterwards, she said she will go down, uh, back to strawweight. That's her weight class, uh, much less bantamweight. But hey, knocking out a bantamweight, two weight classes above you. I think that deserves a lot of attention. <laughs> I personally feel. And that was your opener on Fight Pass. Um, pretty entertaining card, I've got to say. Really memorable main event, um, with, with the title change. And I would say in terms of great fights, uh, you got a, a handful. You, you got more so great performances on this card rather than your, uh, blow away uh, great fight. I thought that uh, Tiago Elvis and Loriano Starpoli, that was probably the best fight on the show. Uh, I haven't seen the bonuses yet. I don't believe they're out, but if we uh, wrap up and happen to see them, I will pass those along to you. But uh, yeah, some really great performances from the likes of Alexander Volkanovsky. He's put himself in a great position. Um, obviously, uh, Jared Cannonier, it's you know, he moves up in the welterweight division. It's a it's a great win to his name. And I would say Ryan Spann is also somebody to watch at light heavyweight. That's always a division that is craving young blood. So Ryan Spann, I'd throw in that mix. And Viviani Araujo, one of the stars of the show. If I was giving out my Molson three stars, she would be one of them. 
some news coming out of uh, Saturday. Uh, ESPN's Era Hawani reporting that Nate Diaz and Anthony Pettis have agreed to fight on August 17th at the UFC 241 card. Uh, an enormous fight. Uh, this will be Nate Diaz, uh, his first fight since August of 2016 when he fought Conor McGregor. So that's an enormous uh, return for Nate Diaz. And interesting in the sense that uh, it's Nate Diaz, first of all, coming back to welterweight to fight Anthony Pettis. And here we are. It's the new ESPN Plus era. And Nate Diaz is someone who made an enormous amount of money off those two Conor McGregor fights uh, on regular pay-per-view. And they were able to make a deal for Nate Diaz. And I would say that that's, this is a pretty big uh, return for a fighter um, in this new ESPN Plus era when it comes to the U.S. pay-per-view distribution. So I think that part is notable and shouldn't be uh, glossed over. The fact that, you know, we talked about Brock Lesnar and how much leverage do these fighters have. And Nate Diaz obviously was able to come to an agreement with the UFC and would not be coming back if he was not happy with the terms. That would be my my strong assumption. So that will be underneath the rematch between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic and is uh, quickly becoming, perhaps it's going to end up being the, the big card of the summer. This one, when all is said and done, may be the sexier card than International Fight Week. Uh, this follows news uh, from Friday that Donald Cerrone and Tony Ferguson are set to fight June the 8th at UFC 238. This was announced uh, first by ESPN and then by uh, the UFC on Saturday during the broadcast. So Donald Cerrone, after he beat Ally Quinta last week, is coming back next month to fight on pay-per-view against Tony Ferguson, who hasn't fought since UFC 229 back in October when he fought Anthony Pettis. So, yeah, that one brings... Uh, a sensational fight, first of all, on top of the fact that you have two title fights on that card and now adding Donald Cerrone and Tony Ferguson. So with Donald Cerrone and Tony Ferguson uh, and then the expected title fight between Khabib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier, 155 is looking dynamite at the moment. And of course, you have Conor McGregor lingering over top of everything at this point and where does he fit in to all of this as everybody is picking dance partners at the moment, including Nate Diaz. If there's going to be a third fight with Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor, it's not happening this summer. And then the UFC, they also announced their schedule for the rest of the year. So notable dates here we've got in July, the UFC is going to be on pay-per-view July the 6th, and then again July the 27th, that will be UFC 239 and UFC 240. Then they're back in August. We mentioned the August 17th card as well. They'll be back September 7th, that's the Abu Dhabi card, UFC 242, and then October 5th is UFC 243, November the 2nd will be 244, and then the year-end card, uh, they're not running New Year's Eve weekend. They are going to have UFC 245 on December the 14th. So those are the pay-per-view announcements for the rest of the year. And Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series is back. It will be returning on June the 18th uh, with five fights airing on ESPN+. And for those outside of the U.S., you'll be able to watch it on Fight Pass. And this is going to be taking place from the brand new UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. 
Before we wrap up, want to take a quick look at the main card from Bellator on Saturday night. They had their 221 show from the Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois. It kicked off with Taiwan Claxton versus James Bennett. Uh, this was a great showcase for Taiwan Claxton. He's an undefeated 4-0 fighter and a tremendous wrestler. Like He has unbelievable wrestling for this featherweight division. Uh, he was able just to control Bennett, landing left hands as well. He was able to slam him, cut open Bennett. This was all in the first round. I thought this was a 10-8. Uh, then in the second, Claxton, great feints, landed this jumping knee that dropped Bennett, and then he landed in side control, landing with hammer fists. And then in the third, Claxton got another takedown into side control, mounted Bennett, and started delivering elbows, hammer fists, and he was just not letting up. The referee finally waved it off at 2.09 of the of the third round. And this, to me, was the perfect opening fight um, to just set the mood for the night and showcase an emerging prospect in Taiwan Claxton, who improves to 5-0, and and I think they did a great job uh, showcasing Taiwan Claxton. Jake Hager, another prospect that they have. This is the former Jack Swagger taking on TJ Jones, a one and one fighter who last fought in 2017. Uh, this was quite the disparity when it came to physical appearances. I will say that. Uh, Grant pretty much just went down to his knees and Hager got onto his back. And started throwing right hands from behind, went to side control, and eventually the punches set up the arm triangle. And Hager submitted him and wouldn't let go. And referee Mike Beltron was furious at Hager for not letting go immediately. Hager wins by arm triangle at 236 of the first round. The crowd is booing him vociferously. And he was, he was trying to tell John McCarthy, like, his last fight, he, wasn't sure uh, if the fight was over, and this time, like, he was trying to mix in his reasoning for this. I think he was more so just uh, caught up in the moment. I didn't really understand what his thinking was, but the crowd hated it. And then he said that he is rock hard with emotion, and he's got a uh, – what did he call it? It was a – you're, you're going to have to go back. It was <laughs> – it it was just a very bizarre comment that Jake Hager had at the end, and I did not know what state this man was in. It was obvious euphoria is all I can imagine that he was in, but he was rock hard with emotion. Uh, after that, it was on to A.J. McKee taking on Pat Curran. This is a big step up for A.J. McKee. He has had... Every professional fight of his has been with Bellator since he debuted back in 2015. He is now 13-0 and coming into this fight and ended up going the distance with Pat Curran and winning with the judges having it 30-27 twice and 30-26. So this one was a notable one. I mean, uh, a big step up in competition against a guy like Pat Curran, a former champion uh, and a veteran. So AJ McKee, he has been, to me, the... Picture perfect example of Bellator bringing someone up and just slowly introducing them to deeper competition. And here he is. Like this is a, this was a long term project for Bellator. And here he is 14 and 0 now since beginning his pro career with this company. And it's been a, an interesting 
trek to watch this guy. So he's in a position now where he's going to be having to fight the major featherweights in the division. I think that this was his graduation into that, into that mix of higher end featherweights moving forward. Douglas Lima, Michael Venepage was the semifinal fight in the welterweight Grand Prix. Uh, this was a quick fight, but also, um, a spectacular finish. So the first round, not a whole lot to write home about. Lima was being very patient and got a takedown. And the rest of the round was Lima in his guard and very little happened. In the second, Michael Page stuns him with this Superman punch. And Lima is regaining his footing as Page enters and he gets blasted with a kick to, uh, with a, a low calf kick and his leg buckles. And as he's, Going down to one, uh, not fully going down, but, um, he's, his, his head is square in front of Lima, who gives him this brutal right hand and knocks him into the next state and followed up with a hammer fist. And it was over at 35 seconds of the second round, the first loss of MVP's career as Douglas Lima wins and advances to the finals of the welterweight Grand Prix, a spectacular knockout by Douglas Lima. And when they showed the replay of this with the leg kick setting up the swinging right hand, it was an unbelievable combination. And Michael Page just slumped down and it was over. Um, Mike Beltron stepping in to stop the fight. And then the main event, Michael Chandler and Patricio Pitbull Freite with uh, Pitbull coming up. He is the featherweight champion coming up in weight to challenge lightweight champion Michael Chandler. And this one barely got out of the gate. Pitbull drops him with a right hand. The replay showed it was right behind the ear and he swarms him with strikes and referee Rob Madrigal runs in, stops the fight. Pitbull gets one more shot in like right right behind the head and Chandler was on his way up and it was a debated finish amongst the announcers. Mauro Ronaldo thought this was early. John McCarthy was trying to defend the stoppage and was stating that Chandler was not doing enough to show that he was okay. That was his justification for it. I thought it was early. I felt that, and listen, I am, I very rarely complain about stoppages. I'm one that feels it's better to be too early than too late. But man, you also feel for Michael Chandler as someone, the, the nature of which he lost to Brent Primus, which was a freak injury during the fight. And then this, uh, he was very classy afterwards. He said that, you know, there's times I've been on the other end of that where people have felt I've, I've won fights and it's been too quick, so I'm not going to be the one to complain here, but he wants to run this back. He wants to rematch with Pitbull, who doesn't know what he wants to do, if he wants to fight at lightweight or if he just wants to go back to featherweight. That's the question there, but uh, he spoke afterwards uh, about the title win and he goes down as the victor here. It only went 61 seconds and it kind of puts a big hold on the lightweight division because to me, Michael Chandler is like their franchise player. And this to me is the only fight you go back for at lightweight. It's, um, it becomes very difficult having this dual champion in Pitbull and, and whether he wants to do this or not to, to go back and forth weight classes. Um, his brother also fights at lightweight. So that becomes kind of difficult as well. So we will see what's going to happen with the fate of this lightweight title as uh, Patricio Pitbull leaves Chicago as a dual champion at 155 and 145 pounds. So 
That was the action from Saturday night, a very busy weekend of fights with the UFC and Bellator going head-to-head. We'll take a look here and see if we have uh, our bonuses for the evening. We do. Uh, fight of the night went to Jessica Andrade and Rose Namajunas, which I cannot fault that one. Um, I would still go the, the Tiago Alves, Loriano Starpoli fight, I, th- I think, was still the better fight. Rose Namajunas had an awesome performance in the first round, and it was a spectacular finish. So I, w- I can see... Jessica Andrade getting performance of the night, which she did as well. So a hundred grand in bonus money for Jessica Andrade. The other performance of the night bonus going to Warley Alvis. There were quite a, a number of great performances on Saturday night's card. Uh, next weekend, they're going to be in Rochester, New York. That's the card headlined by RDA and Kevin Lee. And the main card rounds out with Neil Magny against Vicente Luque, Ciara Eubanks versus Aspen Ladd, Antonio Carlos Jr. versus Ian Heinish. Nick Lentz versus Charles Oliveira and Davi Ramos versus Austin Hubbard. That's on the main card. It's an eight Eastern start next Saturday. And I love these earlier start times. That means that card will be done hopefully by 1030. Can you imagine what world are we living in where a UFC card could be done at 1030 Eastern time much earlier than what my time is telling me it is right now, which is 145 in the morning. So I'm going to sign off. I cannot believe I have talked this long. Uh, I cannot believe you guys have listened this long. So thank you very much. Uh, I'm officially back from my break. So I look forward to speaking to all of you on Monday night when I have someone to speak with in waiting. So that is it for us. Don't fret. Phil will be back next week, next month, I should say, after UFC 238, uh, which is shaping up to be a very intriguing card with the addition of Donald Cerrone taking on Tony Ferguson. So that will be our next UFC post show, June the 8th. Mark it down. It's a very busy weekend, by the way. That's the same weekend as Dominion, which is too far away for me to even ponder. But Wayne and I will be back Monday night. We'll review Raw. We're also going to go through the best of the Super Juniors. And who knows what else uh, we will be discussing it. Go check out postwrestling.com. Be so kind as to rate and review us on iTunes. I am told it helps, so why not? Why don't don't you leave a nice review for us? It would be a wonderful thank you on this Mother's Day. So that is it. Goodbye. We'll talk to you on Monday.